Hello, this is Kirsty Sayer and welcome to One Inch Past Scary Podcast. I'm back and I sometimes think that I should be just doing this podcast every day as I have a thought, get it out there, make this short and sweet and to the point because I get these flashes of inspiration that I want to share or I hear something that is so helpful and meaningful for me and then I... Um, save it for a moment where I'm going to have an uninterrupted hour and that's ridiculous because that never happens (laughs) something's always going on or somebody's going to interrupt or need me or what have you or there's going to be background noise and then I get all um uh perfectionism has its way with me and then I start to lose the, the the spark of inspiration and the whole thing falls apart and then I um I'm not on and it's um, this cycle that I think we should all really be aware of if we are creatives or we feel um, called upon to share a message or something's going on with our lives that we think you know other people might really be helped by this or I might be helped by this listening to it later I just really need to record this or paint this or sketch this or sing this or whatever get it down get it out of me get it you know, out into the world, but then we talk ourselves out of it with all of these different excuses and, and they, and they might be completely valid. And, and I've been longing to do the podcast. It just, life does get in the way. So I wanted to really kick this off by saying, you know, sometimes maybe I think I should just do a daily podcast with like a five minute kind of tale or thought or something that's, uh, that's really kind of speaking to me at this time. If you have thoughts on that, and if you are interested in short, soundbite kind of podcasts, um, let me know. I know some of you say, you know, I don't even like it when you go for 45 minutes instead of an hour because I prefer a good chunk of podcasts that I can depend on for a long commute or a run. And others say, you talk so much. I wish I could just... I would love to listen to your podcast, but you go on. And I'm like, I hear you on that. I really do. And I, I'm trying really hard to get more concise with the whole thing. Um, and then others of you say it could be two or three hours. That's the kind of style that I like in a podcast. So if there's any kind of audience out there for shorter, um, more punchy kind of delivery of five to ten minutes, let me know. And, and, and we can think about that. Or I can just start doing that on um, Instagram stories or something like that. But that's where I am right now. I had a whole bunch of things that really um, were punching me right in the head, in the skull with like insights. And and I was feeling so excited about them. And now they're more or less gone. But I'm going to tell you what's been on my mind today as I pondered the last week. And that is vulnerability with our families. Um, And if your family is not somebody you live with or you have daily contact with, um, you know, this applies to your family, your friends, to your closest relationships, even in your work environment. Um, but for me, I'm really going to focus on um, my vulnerability experience in the last week with my children and how that has really changed my perception of my role in their life and what I was using, the narratives that I was using to keep myself Um, from achieving what I want to achieve and was actually really making me feel bitter and um, judged and not entirely safe in my own home. And it all had to do with what was going on in my head rather than what was actually going on in my home or anyone else's head 
in my home. And that's really what it's almost always all about, right? If you're feeling bitter or judged or you're feeling insecure, um, it's almost always because you are in some way triggered by something, some insecurity that is about you. It's your baggage. And um, then you are either not communicating that and letting people explain themselves or address it with you. Um, instead, you're building it up into something else that it isn't reality. So when we listen to our emotions, which are, um, well, when our emotions inform our thoughts, and then we allow our thoughts to create our reality or our perception of reality, it gets really dangerous. It gets really, really dangerous unless we are inclined to only have great emotions all the time emotions of happiness and positivity and then we can create you know a really positive outlook um, through our thoughts by listening to our emotions but that's not very feasible you know not uh, having a range of emotions is part of the human experience it's healthy it's correct it also helps to keep us safe and um, we don't have to be scared of bad emotions but we just need to be able to unravel emotion um, and a thought from what is actually true and real about what is happening in our lives. And so an example of that is what I'd really built up. I was listening to emotions and, um, uncom and I was being triggered by uncomfortable baggage that I was carrying around, projecting it up into my thoughts. My thoughts were creating this whole convoluted narrative around how my family saw me and my role. And it was actually actively keeping me from fulfilling goals and truly and honestly my whole life's purpose was getting stalled in this nonsense so here's what happened so throughout my life for various reasons I have felt as though my role was to keep the home fires burning in terms of um keeping things neat, clean, and functional in the home. And there is a lot of validity to that. That has been something that I've taken on um, as my role willingly in some ways and also kind of just through conditioning. Um, what I did know I wanted to do was be a stay-at-home mom. After I had my first child, it became very apparent that this was something I loved, I was passionate about, and I did not want to leave this kid. I really didn't want to leave this kid and so we adapted our lifestyle and were fortunate enough to do so and also made other really massive sacrifices um, as a family um, so that there was always somebody either my husband and I home with our kids um, almost always it was one or the, t the other of us as we went through school as we went through grad school jobs living in really expensive bay area california and then napa valley california we struggled mightily financially my husband was laid off for nine months and we've really never recovered financially from this with only one um uh breadwinner to be honest it's been very very difficult we struggled with a lot of debt student loans and everything but it was my and my husband's top um like core value um, and priority and not because we think that it's you know that we're better than other people make other decisions by any means we just knew that I couldn't be happy doing it another way I couldn't see another way forward um, than 
being with my kids and um, making it work. And so we just made a lot of sacrifices in other regards. And it's been really stressful and everything like that. Now, because it was so important to me, as my kids grew and they expressed that they would like more, more, you know, uh, physical things, they would like more um, financial stability and more of a, a disposable income and all that stuff for things as kids and preteens and then teenagers are wont to do, I started to become really kind of paranoid about the fact that because I chose this route, my whole family was um, judging me for it. And nobody ever expressed that, right? Nobody ever overtly said that to me. Um, There were a couple of jokes here and there. But I really was like, because I like being a stay-at-home mom and because the sacrifices to me are worth it and I'm not actively crying over the fact that, you know, I have to be really frugal and I don't do this and this and that and, you know, I, I can't get my hair done. I have to do all these things myself. Um, because I don't see that as a huge, you know, horrible sacrifice and I'm willing to make it and I'm willing to deal with a great deal of financial insecurity at various times of our life and um, not always thrilled about it, but I have a much higher tolerance for it than other people might who choose to work outside the home. And because I'm essentially not crying about it, then I feel guilty about it. So how messed up is that? Like I've made my choice and because I'm comfortable with my choice, I then feel guilty for it. I'm comfortable in one sense, like I don't feel um, beleaguered by it. I feel lucky to be able to stay at home. Because I feel lucky to be able to stay at home, I simultaneously feel guilty. So I'm not taking any joy, even though I do make sacrifices. And I recognize that some people would also be willing to make all the sacrifices I make and still wouldn't live as nearly as good a life as I do and I realize how how absolutely privileged I am so you know please don't get me wrong that I'm like oh I've made all these terrible sacrifices I have a great life and I'm very very lucky but there's this kind of um there was this weird guilt attached to it And um, because of that, I became increasingly sort of uh, paranoid about if the house wasn't always up to scratch. Now, we live in a really small space, relatively speaking. In the olden days, and this house was built in the olden days, it was perfectly fine for a size family that we have. In fact, the family we bought it from is a fairly prominent family in this town. Um, They do very well, they're very well loved, and they're successful, and they raised all four children to adulthood in this home and love it dearly, as we do. But it's small, and our kids see that, (laughs) relatively speaking. I think it's perfect for our needs, but you know, there are some limitations. We don't have a huge finished basement. We don't have this or that. Two of our kids have always had to share a room, which I think is actually cool for them. Um, it's it's functional, and um, there are some sacrifices, but a net positive, I think, is that we are always close by to each other. We are fairly um, aware of what's happening in each other's lives and um, aware of kind of the temperature emotionally of each person in the family. So I've been really grateful for that. Um, But there's other things like, you know, um, 
we don't have a separate laundry room so the laundry tends to pile up in the kitchen which with all when all seven people are home as they were over this last summer the kitchen itself tends to pile up if one person does not put their dishes or their sandwich paraphernalia away right away it all piles up and it's a mess and so it gets overwhelming and I get overwhelmed because I have other things that I want to do I, when I decided um, to put away the idea of going to grad school and I pulled out before I even started grad school and I addressed the reasons for that last um, podcast episode and I might say I feel so incredibly blessed that I kept getting that, that really calm assurance that this was not the right time for grad school given how um, much care and help my daughter has needed when recovering from her surgery and how overwhelming this whole period of time has been anyway. It would have really been a bad experience to pile grad school on top of that. But as an aside, I put away grad school with the idea of I need to be doing what I'm supposed to have been doing all this time and that is writing. So In between um, being a stay-at-home mom and having those responsibilities like, um, you know, basic home maintenance and taking care of a young kid and getting her to school and making sure she's doing what she should be doing. And and now with um, school starting and uh, vehicles sort of being shared amongst the college kids, there's some driving that I'm doing that I haven't been accustomed to. And then, of course, my daughter, who was driving, but now can't because of her surgery, I'm doing a lot of that. And she's been keeping different hours at school because of um, physical therapy and her recovery. So I'm doing a lot of driving and I'm also training for a marathon, which actually takes a lot of time um, in both the training and um, keeping healthy, recovering and rolling and yoga and icing and all the stuff. It's it's kind of. (laughs) It's a privilege. It really is. It's a real privilege to have the time to do that, Um, but it does take some time. So I noticed the house was getting more and more out of hand, and I was feeling worse and worse about myself. And it's frustrating to me when things are messy because nobody, I don't think anybody likes to live in a mess, and I know I don't. I have a fairly large tolerance for kind of happy chaos, but um, a buildup of mess which is not functional is not okay. So I was getting overwhelmed by that. And I'm physically tired because, you know, um, I'm not 20 anymore and I'm putting in a lot of miles. So when I have come home from a particularly long run and then I see that a lot of household tasks need to be done, I feel uh, instantly defeated. And fall is just one of those chaotic times. Everybody's getting into their own routines. Everybody's doing sports. And so I'm frequently at games Um, later in the evenings and it just seems like oh there's just not enough time to do everything and I want to be able to write I want to spend several hours of uninterrupted time when Ella's in school and nobody else is around to write but I never feel justified in writing if the house isn't clean because that seems like a luxury and I got sadder and sadder and sadder and I felt more and more embittered towards my family because they weren't assisting and then I was like what is actually going on here? I am f- honestly feeling it's not that I f- want them to help because they're equally busy, if not more busy, with less of this disposable time or at least time that they're in charge of. You know, they have more set hours than I do. So when I parse this apart, it's not that I feel angry at my family 
for not, you know, sort of like scrubbing the kitchen floor daily and keeping on top of all the laundry. It's not that. What is it? I feel disrespected because they're not facilitating my dreams in the way that I facilitate theirs. And then I was like, but wait, have I ever expressed these dreams to my family? And do I even know if they expect me to keep the house tidy? Do they think that it's my responsibility? Now that most of them are fully functional adults who can certainly wash a dish, wipe up after themselves, uh, you know, plan a meal, or at least help with that sort of thing or cleaning up afterwards. Certainly everybody's been doing their laundry for a long time. A lot of the mess is mine or Ella's. Erin um, is naturally tidy, but I am, I tend to just sort of explode and do these big messes and then these big cleanups. And I really started to take this apart. And then suddenly in a fit of kind of like self-pity and also just I couldn't deal with feeling this way in my own home anymore this judge this this insecure this everybody really doesn't think that I am worthy feeling and these are the people whose opinion means by far and away the most to me my my husband my children the way they feel about me it means everything to me and um I it was just it was building up to this fever pitch one day and in tears I sat in my gazebo and I started texting the family group chat. And I was like, you guys, real talk here. I want to know if you think that I should be in charge of the house. Like, it's my job to keep everything clean and tidy. Because I feel like you think it is. And I can tell that it's getting away from me now. You know, the house is frequently in chaos lately. And I want to know if you guys' perception of me is she's not doing her job. I want to address that. And the, the like, and then I sort of spewed out how I'm feeling really insecure. I'm feeling like I can't get my dreams accomplished because I can't get on top of the house. And even though I'm sacrificing my dreams, I still can't get on top of the house. And that's making me feel like it's all for naught. And you all think I'm lazy and that I've sacrificed um, your financial betterment for me staying at home and I can't even do that job right. And the family's response was quick and very reassuring and they were like bewildered by my attitude. They were like, what? Mom, no. (laughs) Now, the children are kind. I have really kind and sensitive kids. But the way they expressed it really was reassuring to me and I had honestly for literally now probably since my my oldest boys were mid-teenage I had been harboring this and it was growing to this fever pitch and it was all about me and my own insecurities it was all about me and my own lack of going after my dreams and my own baggage and all of this stuff that I had like really created this whole incredible narrative in my head that has was really interfering with the intimacy in my family and then it was also making me lash out at them a lot when when the house wasn't together I was lashing out at them and I was realizing that was coming from a very defensive place like if you guys could help me then maybe I could fulfill my job which you guys think I'm doing such such a bad one of and they're like 
what, 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 what? Where is this coming from, woman? You know? Um, no, we think that we should be doing it. We just don't see the mess. We're not as bothered by the mess as you are. And I was like, you guys, I'm not as bothered by the mess as you think I am. If you're not bothered by it, if you're not judging me for it, then I'm cool. Like, I'm a lot more cool with it than I would be otherwise. Like, we cannot live in filth. Let's all be real about that. And I don't think any of us are comfortable with that. But if you're cool with the level of disarray we've got going on a lot of the days with, you know, one big cleaning day and maybe a couple of them in the week, then I'm cool. Are we all cool? Yeah, mom, like, we're all cool. Like, we feel bad that you feel like you're not our slave. You're you're this and this and this to us. You give us amazing advice and you're around for us and you, we love you and, and we respect you. And it was just like a really cool affirming conversation to have. And I was struck by their maturity and the way that they were framing things and the way that they, you know, and I've always raised my kids not to believe that I, the world revolved around them. And certainly that I didn't, I talked a good game about that, but I was still harboring this. And I know that sounds really unprogressive, but I think a lot of women are secretly harboring the fear that they will be judged and unloved by their own family if they don't do it all and do it all perfectly, if they're not at every single game. So I know I have friends who like to be at the games. This is their social um, outlet. This is also their... um, entertainment they just love it it just fills it fills their bucket and that's so wonderful and that is not me and I've talked about that before um I used to go because the other moms were going and I was afraid that my kids would feel unloved like what's wrong with me if my mom doesn't come to as many of the games as the other kids moms do well your mom has five kids four of whom are playing soccer one of whom who was an infant and then a toddler and then a preschool. Your mom was also dealing with PTSD and this was the type of stuff I would explain to them. And your mom um, is really sensitive to temperature and really does not like being outside in the cold or your mom has a lot of other hobbies um, and this does not check off her box. Um, you know, these kinds of things. And when I would explain this to the kids, um, they would be like, mom, why are you going off on all this? Like, We actually never said we minded you not being there. We don't care. Like, come to some of our home games. We're like, that's great. Um, You know, and so Aaron and I then started to tag team. Oi, speaking of tag team, there are a couple of dogs doing that right now. So I'm going to pause until they have that out of their system and carry on right after this. And we're back, hoping that the the dogs are taking a midday siesta. So, um... So all that to say that I would, you know, get all like overwrought in these, it's not that I don't love you, but, and the kids would be like, seriously, we know you love us and it doesn't mean to us what you seem to think it does. So chill lady, you know, and I think this is why it's so important to keep these vulnerable lines of communication open because so often we, we've set up this kind of culture of the mom and dad need to keep up at least the appearance 
of having our shit together and knowing what we're doing. And a lot of parents feel like that they shouldn't ever engage in a conversation with their kids, which entails them saying, I don't know what I'm doing. And to be honest, your soccer games are freaking overwhelming me. Going to all of these is making me tense and unhappy because I cannot maintain the house. I never get to run anymore. I just am straight up cold and freezing and bored and I'm tired of sitting around with this particular group of people or any of the things. Parents don't feel like that they can actually just express their needs to their kids and say, I don't know what to do because I don't want you to feel as though I don't love you or that I don't enjoy watching you play. But let's face it, you're spending a ton of time on the bench lately and I could be doing things. I'm just kidding about that part. But you know, it's, it's like, why can't we as human beings recognize that it's fine to talk to your kids and say, I have these needs and I'm also really cognitive that you have needs and they are my highest priority and I love myself um, and I know that if I can't meet my own needs, I will be less for you. So how am I going to kind of check all this off that it is satisfactory to you or that you're getting what you need and I'm getting what I need? Can we hash this out? Like, can you imagine how much more productive relationships might be within any kind of environment, not just in the home, um, but with friends or with coworkers or, you know, if we really have the courage to have these vulnerable conversations and stop pretending that, first of all, we're not interested in the input of the other person, that we are so invested in, in appearing that we've got it together and nobody should question what, what we're doing. And, and then inside, we spend the time questioning and tormenting and judging ourselves imagining that somebody else is doing it for us but we won't put it out there and 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 let the chips fall where they may and realize that perhaps which is almost always the case we are our own harshest critics so i find that these conversations uh get really um they have always helped when i had come from them with what Brene brown says is a wholehearted self. If I come at them with my best self, um, with my most genuine self and say, I am breaking inside. I am sad because I want to be loved and I want to be respected and I want you to feel loved and respected and I want our home to function well and I want to meet your needs, but I just don't know how. I just don't know how to do it all. I am breaking. Um, I find that these have always, this kind of lack of pretense conversation has always, always, always made me closer to the person with whom I'm coming. If I come with any ounce of defensiveness though, things break down in a hurry and become the total opposite. Walls go up, you come at a conversation with defensiveness and you will be met with defensiveness. And it gets ugly in a rush. It's not nice. And I've seen both up close and personal so many times. And I really must advocate for coming forward with a broken, I don't know where I'm coming from heart. And if you're not completely broken, and I recommend not getting to the broken space. 
and having lots of these conversations along the way, but coming with, with this like, I don't know it all. I'm on this planet, a little child in the whole process, just like you are a couple of years or maybe 20 odd years ahead of you, but still freaking trying to figure it out as I go along. And I need your input because you're the person I'm trying to serve. Um, it's it's going to make you closer. It, it really does um, build respect and intimacy between the people having these conversations. I've never had an experience where it didn't, truly. And, you know, I was able to have such insights into my children's really beautiful, compassionate and very mature hearts, you know, and outside of the group chat, a, a couple of them texted me individually and said, I just want you to know how much you mean to me and what I'm getting for Clemt. Um, and, you know, how you've helped me recently with this and this and this and I just think you need to hear that more often specific ways in which I love you and if I've ever made you feel this way I'm so sorry it was all in humor I really never meant it or whatever you know these things and I'll cherish those things it's always worth it to put yourself out there not in a whiny way like don't whine and be like you guys never help me you know be like what can we do together and really I, th I find that it starts getting really helpful when I first put myself in the position of what don't I understand about where that person is coming from? What piece of their life or their struggle am I missing? Rather than here are all the ways they're not meeting my needs, you know, and how they don't understand me. And I'm going to just dump that in their laps. But first saying, I fear I'm not meeting your needs in this and this and this way, or I fear that um, I don't get where you're coming from or I don't understand something explain it to me and really say that because you mean it or don't say it at all because people can also see straight through insincerity and saying just the right words without the heart behind it is is offensive it's offensive to your soul and that dishonesty will convey straight to theirs and it's you're going to get nowhere people really just end up feeling really betrayed by that kind of stuff so be sure that you are in an open place and that doesn't necessarily mean you're in a good place like I said I was crying and miserable when I finally wrote that that text and I kind of wrote it on a whim but I knew that I wasn't in an angry place with my family I was in a desperate place with them and that's different so there was that and then I want to talk about another um, opportunity that I had to be really vulnerable this week with my youngest um, now I think we're all so conscious now, you know, I see it on social media all the time about building our children up and, 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 and really trying to stay away from making any kind of negative commentary about their uh, physicality or the way they express themselves or what have you. And I think that's such a wonderful trend in our society. Now, I grew up in a home where um, uh, appearances mattered a lot and... Um, and I kind of took, I took that away and I um, placed those burdens on my own children in their formative years, uh, the oldest four particularly. And I remember when Ben said to me, he must have been six or something, I was yelling at the kids as usual, trying to get them ready for church, fussing that they didn't look right. Everybody always matched in our family and it was just insane and unhealthy, but everybody thought we were awesome because we matched and I'd be like, I would always think to myself like, if you only knew how much yelling happened before church, you would not for a moment go, you're such a good mom because your children's 
the clothes are clean and they match like that is nonsense or people used to give me a lot of props for having really cool birthday parties and I, I think to myself okay how does that make me a good mom because I was yelling at them to clean the house before the birthday party on their birthday you know stuff like that I'd be like this is bullshit <laughs> like <laughs> I do not deserve your praise you know um but I remember in the midst of one of these things, Ben, little sweet, angelic, like golden, white-haired Ben, just looked exactly like an angel, looked up at me and said, really just so it seared through my soul. He said, you really care about what people think, don't you? And he said it so guilelessly, but so, it just really penetrated me because I knew in my soul, not as much as I do now, but I knew something was wrong. And I looked at him and I said, yes, I really do. And I do it all for you because I want people to like you and give you opportunities. Now, this was partially true. And there is an element to that that I actually still believe in, you know. Um, unfortunately, we are very much judged on the way we present ourselves to the world physically. And there are times that you need to dress appropriately and whatever. But there's a difference between showing up clean, neat and on time and showing up in a matching shirt from Jimboree. Okay. None of that part is necessary. And so there was a part that I was using to really assuage my pride or what was, whatever was missing, whatever I was des desperately trying to prove through my kids, living through them completely unconsciously because that's the only way I knew. That is the way I've been taught. You are lovable when people think you've got your shit together. And as a mom, my shit together means me presenting this pack of four kids perfectly behaved and in matching cute clothes from Jimboree. Freaking crazy. I know, I know, I know. And I did a number on these poor kids, for real. Like, that we will probably continue to see for decades. And hopefully at some point I'm going to be rich enough to fund their therapy. Because um, I will have caused the need for it. But um, we try and talk about it a lot now. And I'm hoping to mitigate some of the damage that way. And... You know, if, if you're stuck in this loop, recognize that you've been doing your best from where you came and try to change specifically by talking to your kids about it, and, which brings me to the story with Ella. So I see that we're, we've all kind of raised our level of consciousness, all of us. We have all uh, collectively raised our level of consciousness about how we talk to children and about how to be more productive about that. And... I have really appreciated that guidance because I didn't know better until I started to learn better. And I actually thought I was being a great mom when I gave my kids a really hard time about how they acted or how they looked. Um, I thought I was doing my job well and, and you know, that's, that's why we just can't judge each other. Um, but it, it turns out that's highly destructive and not good. And I do now know that, which is why really really screwed up last Friday night I was tired exhausted I think it was Saturday in fact I was exhausted I'd gone on a really long run like I say I've been training and, I, and the cumulative exhaustion had kind of hit me hard it was a warm Saturday afternoon I was done like I should have been napping but I wasn't I was um or I should have been having a huge meal to deal with my blood sugar there's a lot of reasons why I was irritable none of them excuse what I'm about to tell you I did so it was actually the evening and I'm walking downtown with my child, sweet, darling, eight-year-old, innocent, confident child who's very happy with how, who she is, or so it appears. She dressed herself. She's wearing these little jeans that are cute if you wear them like, uh, they're kind of like high waters, they're cropped, right? 
So it's cute if you wear them in a specific way, but they can also easily look like high waters. And I was one of five kids, and one of my mom's phrases was like, I don't want you ever to look like you're one of five kids. Right? That came from her own her her own fears and, and insecurities that she passed down. You know, the sins of the fathers, and it came from wherever. So I ha- have adopted that phrase, and I pull it out from time to time, and I'm like, whoa, that one's looking really five kiddish. That one's looking the youngest of five kids. Let's, let's like brush her hair, what have you. And so I was like, ooh, Ella, what, the, what is going on? Because what she had done was she was wearing these little pants, which are like, for me, they were questionable pants in the first place. I wouldn't have dressed her in them at all. And it, it all happened outside of my supervision. <laughs> and I was like, mm. so now half of this is, and neither one of these is better than the other. They're both horrible. One of the reasons is I do kind of care about my kid looking five kiddish. I want her to look cared for. Um, although, you know, anybody who matches knows she's cared for. So that's entirely gross and on me. And the other thing that I care more about even more, which is possibly even more selfish, is I like her to look a certain way because it's pleasing to me. Like when I look upon her, when I gaze upon this, my child, this creation of my child, I like to be pleased with what I see. Now, this is an ultimate moment of vulnerability for me because it's gross, like I realize. But look, look, in my defense, we all do this, okay? When we dress our baby in a tiny, cute outfit, we love it. And we're like, and we take pictures and it's so cute. We just look, like to look at them that way. Well, she's still my baby. And I like to look at her looking cute. It pleases me, okay? So it's kind of gross, but also kind of (laughs) natural, okay? I just think, you know, it's, it's fun to look at her looking cute. And she did not have a very pleasing outfit and we were going to be downtown where everybody was and I'm like wouldn't it be nice if you wore one of your millions of cute outfits right now wouldn't that be nicer so I'm saying this muttering this as I'm trying to sort out the distance between the sock that she'd inexplicably put on rather than like wearing flip-flops with a little crop pant (laughs) I'm laughing at myself not at her right now I am laughing at myself and my own shallowness I really am um (laughs) oh so I'm just like, or you need to like, you need to really like raise the level of these pants. So it's really clear that we're not high waters, but it's cropped. Okay. And she just looks at me and she's like, just, it's fine, mommy. Let's just go. And I'm like, no, it's not fine. It looks weird. And she's like, I don't care. And I'm like, well, other people will think you look bad. And it really does look bad. And she looked at me first with confusion and then just aghast. And I was instantly shamed. I was shamed even when the, the words were coming out of my mouth because I heard them and I heard how gross and undermining and unkind and horrible they were. Like, why would, you know, people don't say that to me. And I'm sure I go out looking way worse than Ella all the time. And, and you know, my kids don't comment on my clothing when, when they probably think, you know, you could probably stand to lose a few pounds before you put that on or that's a little too young for you or whatever. They never do that to me. So what was I doing? And um, I just was like, oh, that that spit like you done effed up, mom, like came upon me. And she looked at me just aghast and she was like, mommy, you are mean. And I was like, I'm not mean. I'm trying to make it so other people aren't mean about you. You know, like 
actually then dug the hole deeper of everything I've tried to teach you. We don't care about what other people think. We, we wear what we like. We like who we are. Oh my gosh. I'm like throwing all this away in one horrible, horrible exchange right now. And I'm doubling down right now. I'm like, what in the hell are you doing? Listening to myself. And she's like, I don't care what other people think, but I think you are mean. And her eyes filled with tears. Oh my gosh, you guys, I'm like, oh, you've got to know how much I love you for telling this, this shame story because it's a big one. And I stopped myself before I once again came back with this little retort or blew it off. And I said, I'm so sorry, Ella. You're right. That is mean. I am mean. I was mean to say that that was totally out of line and you look fine, sweetie. And I just felt sick for a long time. I really did. And I, I couldn't shake it. And the next day I went on a long, long run and thought about it the whole time and came home. And I was like, Ella, I just really have to talk to you again about what I said last night. I was so proud of you for standing up to yourself, to me, your mom, and telling me when I was mean and wrong because I was. And that was not an okay thing to say to you. I, you are my daughter and I love you and you are special and what you wear has nothing to do with any of that and nobody ever has the right to be mean to you no matter what, but mostly not me. And by this point, this kid was so far over it and she wanted to show me what she was doing on Roblox and I could see the eyes were glazing over and she wasn't getting anything. I hope maybe she heard a fraction of it and was like slightly reinforced. Kind of that window had closed by then, but I've resolved to be better. But that allowing myself to drop that defensiveness on the night um, after having picked up that defensiveness twice when my eight-year-old was trying to set me straight um, saved me slightly. I had still done a horrible thing, but I didn't do as badly as I have in the past. And I have to give myself grace for that. Um, so, you know, firstly, ask your kids, how, how is it that we can fix this with, with each other? How is it that I can, you know, reassure myself that you're getting what you need and I can also get what I need. Ask, ask the people you love this, if that's where you're coming from. But then when you screw up, be sure to own it. Own it with your whole heart. Explain all the ways in which you screwed up. Don't try to justify it. I didn't say to her, I was really hungry and cranky. And guess what, sweetie, mommy's own mother was terribly damaged and raised her in that way and blah, 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 blah. Like all of that means nothing to that kid. <laughs> What matters, you know, maybe later I could explain that and that might be helpful, you know, to my older kids to understand why I screwed up so in, you know, over and over and over again when they were younger. But don't try to justify what you've done. When you need to issue an apology to anyone, just issue it and say, I'm so sorry. Don't be like, and now you, what's your apology? Don't be like, um, but if only you would dress from the cute drawer that mommy set aside for you of cute vetted clothes. You know, none of that. Like, I, I wasn't going to say that, but I, I'm just giving examples. When we own an apology wholeheartedly, firstly, be aware that it will make your kid uncomfortable. Kids are not comfortable with parents being vulnerable at first. But it's, it's so, you know, it's not a comfortable place for any of us. We don't like it. The kid may squirm because they don't like it. It's uncomfortable for kids to see their parents being vulnerable in any way. But it's better for them to see you apologizing for something and then making good on that apology than for you to pretend you never do anything wrong 
because that's when they take it on them and they make themselves wrong. And none of us want that for our children. We do not want to pass that baggage onto our kids. It is not more important to me that my kid thinks that I don't do anything wrong and then they make themselves wrong instead. I would much rather they see me as the wreck and themselves as pure and beautiful and special and great, right? And I think all of us would. I think all of us would. And it's just as easy as that. And the more vulnerable you are, the more you practice this, the better it gets, the easier it gets. I do recommend listening or reading um, the work of Dr. Brene Brown. I know she's had a thing on Netflix recently. I still haven't watched that. I've read all her books over the years, though, and I've listened to a lot of her podcasts and conversations, and she's just got some really good stuff. And it helps because she is somebody who struggles with vulnerability. So if my take on this is somebody who is somewhat comfortable with vulnerability um, doesn't resonate with you, I still recommend that you listen to her. She is somebody who's very uncomfortable with it. She's very technical. It's all about the facts with her. She's a researcher um, of shame and vulnerability, and she, um, you know, she has a very no-nonsense delivery style. So if she's more your speed, I recommend it because this is something that has opened up my life dramatically and it has made my relationships so much better. And I have two parenting golden tips that if anybody were to ever ask me, and when they do, I do offer this. Firstly, sort out your own shit. Get as well as you can, as quickly as you can. We all have crap. If you think you don't have baggage, you have more baggage than you think. You're then you're way worse off than everybody else. <laughs> if you think you've got nothing going on with you, then you probably have more going on with you than people who do realize they've got stuff going on with them. Um, so really kind of look into that, get it sorted out. I'm, I'm being slightly glib about that, but we've all got stuff to work on. Um, and the earlier, the better. The earlier, the better. Focus on you. Sort yourself out before you can sort your kids out. Truly. Because you will mess your kids up to the same extent as you are messed up. If not more. Um, if, you, if you double down on there's nothing wrong with me. And then um, the next thing is be honest and open and vulnerable in your relationships. That Say sorry to your kids as many times as you need to, as many times as you need to, and do everything in your power to make good on your apologies so that they can trust them. Because saying sorry and then just doing the same thing willfully the next day just results in, in, in trashed, uh, um, what is the word, trust, and that's bad. But if they can see you making an honest effort, you know, don't say things like, mommy will never yell at you again. Don't make promises like that. It's not going to happen. It's really unlikely to happen that you'll never yell at your kids again. Be like, mommy's trying really hard to be better. Could you please say this to me? You know, I give, I, I give my kids uh, catchphrases, uh, particularly Ella, for when we've addressed something and um, I've apologized for it. And then I say, if, if you could give me this code word in the future when I'm doing it, I'd really appreciate it. And that's worked really well for us. When I'm on my phone and when she's trying to talk to me or I'm distracted in another way and she really needs my attention right then, she will say really loudly, Mommy, the cat's in the cradle from that, that song, Cats in the Cradle in the Silver Spoon. Um, so, you know, stuff like that gives kids the sense of empowerment and really allows them to assist you in keeping your promises to them. So that's my message for today. Uh, there were a few uh, messages I wanted to get 
across then. If you've got something to share, share it. I almost didn't share my last podcast. I talked about it on the platforms when I shared it. I typed out a little story about how I was really just going to keep my last podcast to myself. I was having vulnerability hangover and I wanted to keep it to myself. But a series of events that may seem like coincidences, I don't believe they were, inspired me to put it out there. And I hope that somebody out there, at least one person got one thing from it that helped them. Um, Second, put your needs out there for your family um, with wholeheartedness and with the the intent of healing yourself, healing your family, making these relationships closer and more functional. And third, uh, say sorry. Say sorry when you screw up to your kids. Um, Don't fear that. Um, Own your mistakes. Try to do better. Ask for help in doing better. And you will not go wrong in doing any of those things. I love you all. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please uh, share this podcast or parts of it or talk about it to others. Um, Rate review on Apple Podcasts will raise me um, in searchability. And uh, do get in touch with the length of podcasts, the topics, or anything else you want to talk about, um, either in comments or kirsty.saya at gmail.com or on my um, my Instagram, which is Mommy Kirsty, or on One Inch Past Scary. 